0: This is Oasis City Radio Music. A, this is Oasis City Radio Music. Sun goes up, sun comes down, this world keeps spinning around. This is Oasis City Radio Music. 24 hours a day at OasisCityRadio.com. Tune in. iHeartRadio and the Oasis City Radio app. It up. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. Are you glad you came to church today? Do you sense that God has something for you? Yes. Amen. Are you happy to be alive? Yes. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you. Yes. And you look good. Yes. Middle school, you guys are released. If you didn't see that announcement, middle schoolers can go. Uh, we have a great class for you. And in just a couple short weeks, uh, we're going to have middle school class in both services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., so we're really excited about that. Uh, as we continue to grow and make more room. So as Pastor Bill shared with you a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're, we're going to see some construction happening soon. We're going to knock down some walls. We're actually, I'm not going to knock down any walls. We're going to hire somebody to walk, knock them down with expertise uh, and the right permits and all that stuff. So it's going to be great. So pardon our construction. As you see them just a couple of weeks, we're making more room uh, to extend the kingdom so you can, we can worship together as one body. Amen. Well, we started a series just last week called "We Are the Church." Yeah, can you let's say that together? Say it together. We are the church. And Pastor Bill talked last week about the the importance of finding your gifts in the local body and how how God has things in store for you that you only find in the local body. And so we're on this journey together today. I want to talk to you on the subject of belong. That we need to belong. And I'm going to springboard from where he left off last uh, weekend in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there. Do you have your Bible? Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to go at this together. And, and the Lord is going to speak to us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's do verse 18. It says this, but now God has placed the members... Each one of them in the body just as he desired. Just as who desired? desired. Wait, not the way you desired? The way he desired. Moment of clarity. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Let's jump down now to verse 25. It says this, so that there may be no division. Say no division. No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive today through the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that the author of this book, Holy Spirit, lives inside of us and, and, and teaches us and brings discernment and helps guide us into all truth and understanding. And so we ask that today, the power of Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, change our lives, that our heart would be good soil, that your word today, Lord, would fall on good soil and that it bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm excited to share with you today on this, on this subject of belong. You know, when you look at the word belong, it's broken down to two syllables, the first word, first one being simply be. How many of you know that we have to be? As in, we have to be us, we have to be present, we have to be uh, who we were created to be. It's our identity, And, and so many people go throughout life just existing instead of being, So I challenge us today to be present, even now, in this next half hour, 40 minutes, to be present, to be here as we open up the Word of God and as God chooses to enlighten us today. The second syllable is long. So we look at that and we can understand, wait a minute, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. This is is our lives, and it's not something we do just for a season, but it's an ongoing process. This isn't short-term thinking. We're planning. And in order to belong today, we need to be present. We need to be and to exist in who we were created to be. And we also need to think long-term, not short-term. And so the scripture gives us, shares with us some truths that are really exciting for us to jump into today and that I want to share with you. John Wesley said this, the founder of the Methodist Church, said, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. That's just some good truth, some good understanding. Something that John Wesley understood well, but we in the church today don't often understand. That we cannot exist and grow as God intended for us to do in this journey, being followers of Christ. We can't do it alone, we cannot do this by ourselves. Uh, Bill and I went on to, to a conference this, this week, and uh, so we went down the first morning. We were getting ready to, to grab the Uber to go to the conference, and it, it was one of these places that was kind of out by itself, so you couldn't walk anywhere, and the hotel was just a couple miles away, and we were down in Orlando, and uh, I, right, as we were waiting on the Uber, standing there with our phones, and the guy was coming up, Bill just says, as he often does, if you've been with him anywhere, he just began to pray, Lord, just guide our paths today. Uh, direct our paths, give us divine appointments. We thank you uh, for what you're going to do and how you're going to connect us today. You know, because we should be praying without ceasing, right? So we can talk to God at any time. It should be normal, right? And, and so as we were praying, and we were anticipating seeing some, some friends that we hadn't seen in several years, reconnecting old friendships. And so uh, we, were, we were anticipating good things to happen. And so the Uber driver pick, go, comes and picks us up, and, and Bill jumps up front, and I get in the back. And he says, oh, I see I'm taking you to your church. What do you guys do? Are you guys pastors? And we said yes, you know. And um, I'm, I'm just going to tell you a little secret. This is just my personal, this is just how I operate sometimes. There are some times where people ask me what I do, and I only tell the partial truth. I'm just going to admit. In some certain social scenarios, when I go to meet people, um, I don't tell the, the, the full truth as in what I do, maybe that I work in nonprofit or I work in... You know, I'm a, I'm a um, you know, leadership director. I've had several, I've had several uh, fake jobs, you know. Um, and, and this is all done with love because here's the truth is that when you meet people, when they find out what you do, that you're a pastor, it changes your entire interaction, okay? So particularly if there's someone there that, that, that I, I sense that in this moment there's an open door here to, to talk to them about the Lord, to do something. If often, if you tell them who, who, who I really am and what I do, uh, they, they automatically put a guard up or they automatically tell you everything's, everything's good. You know, because I go to church. So we jump in the car, uh, but, but here's the truth, is that uh, when we jumped in the Uber that morning, our cover was already blown, okay? <laughs> and he asked a notorious question. The driver says, um, can I ask you a question? <laughs> so our six-minute Ride to the church turned into a 30-minute ride because his question turned into multiple questions, which turned into missing the exit and being stuck in traffic, and having to turn around and get back on the crowded interstate and drive back down. And um, and um, I was operating to get to the sermon that morning because I sat in the back seat. Bill missed it, jumped in the front seat, and was stuck. Because the truth was, is this guy? He he didn't he didn't he wasn't asking a question. He was telling us what he believed, and he was not in any way, shape, or form listening to anything. And the funniest thing was, is that any atheist or agnostic or anyone far, far, far from God would would have laughed at his argument because it was contradicting himself over and over and over and over again. It was it was quite laughable, uh, and he wasn't wanting to listen to anything that was said. And so and so Bill asked a very honest and very great question when he said so where do you worship where do you belong and do you know what his answer was well you know I don't go to church and it's amazing to me how we can become so deceived when we operate by ourselves this man's I mean not even theology his his purpose for life was so broken That if he shared it with anyone, anyone, no matter what they believed, in God or not, would tell him, bro, you're contradicting yourself. Like, what do you believe? It's so lost and broken. And then Bill picked up his discernment gift after losing it by jumping in the front seat. And (laughs) and I knew this was all God appointed. He had just prayed, Lord, give us divine appointments and meet people and all these things. And he said to the man before he left, he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for a demonstration of the power of God in your life. Because there was no argument. There's no arguing with a fool. We pray for a demonstration of the power of God. And, and the truth is, is I don't have a... I don't know the rest of the story. I don't know where he's at today. But I do know this, is I don't know we, that Bill was obedient to what the Lord had him to do that day. For that assignment. That, that man's being prayed for. For a demonstration of the power of God. But sometimes I, I just want to record people and play back the words that come out of their mouth so that they can actually hear what it is that they believe because it's such foolishness. That was one of these moments. And I was like, man, if you could hear yourself talk, it's absolutely crazy. You've contradicted yourself over and over again. And we get in this place of belief system where, where we can be, believe and, and think we believe certain things that is so, so wrong because we operate in a place of complete isolation, and so Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. Understand, he wrote a letter here to Corinth, and, and Paul wasn't just writing a letter to random churches. This wasn't like, like New Testament spam mail, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't just throwing out letters to different cities and, uh, and hoping something stuck. You see, Paul, had, Paul had, had started the church there in Corinth and, was, and lived in the city for 18 months. And so he knew all about the culture. He knew all about the city. He knew who he was talking to. And in establishing this church, he had come to find out a few years later that some problems had arisen inside of the, the local church there in Corinth and some things that he needed to address. Now, you see, Corinth was a, was a city that was a, a trading post right on the sea. And so it was a place where, where it really was a melting pot of people, cultures, of, of religion. It was a place where where uh, uh, the economy flourished because it was so diverse, because it was a trading post. And with all of this difference in culture and difference in religions, a lot of false religions were rising up and causing problems in the local church. And so Paul had to address some things. The the city of Corinth was so known um, as a city that that was... uh, such a blended uh, of cultures and everything, but a lot of negative influence had come. So there was a lot of sexual perversion happening in the city of Corinth at the time uh, from different influences, from different cultures. And so there, there, were, these, there were these temples that were built to idols and to, and to gods. And there was one temple built just outside the city that they said there were a thousand prostitutes worked at this temple. And so it was notorious all over the Roman world, Corinth was as a city that had this temple right outside of there. So you can imagine some of the people that came to worship in that city. As a matter of fact, Plato wrote about Corinth, and this is what he said. You know, Plato was a real guy. He wasn't a myth. He was a real guy. And some of you are saying, oh, he was. That's that's your takeaway for today. Plato was a real guy. Some of you are fact-checking me by throwing that out on Twitter. And, And... he actually coined this term, the, a Corinthian girl. So when he talked about a Corinthian girl, it's actually a, a phrase for a prostitute. That's how notorious the city of Corinth was at the time when Paul is writing this letter. Okay, So not all that different from the, the world that we live in today. A, a world of, of blended cultures and this beautiful thing where a, a diverse economy and all of these things, and yet a lot of the world was starting to seep into the church. You understand, we're 12 chapters into his first letter here to Corinth, and and Paul has already addressed uh, a, a situation that had arisen inside the church where one of the leaders was in an incestuous relationship. And so the tone of Paul's letter takes on a little bit of a, almost of a sarcastic tone, if you ask me. He starts talking about the members of the body and, and, and like, what happens if you take out the eye? And and, and you can't take the head and replace it with the leg. I mean, he's talking elementary, elementary stuff here, right? He's painting a visual for the very, very basics of, of how we should live. You know, when you have to write a letter and say, listen, guys, you know, I didn't tell you this when I planted the church three years ago because I didn't really think that it needed addressed, but you can't sleep with your father's wife. I mean, it's in the book. I mean, it's in the letter. He had, to, he had to write that down on paper and send it to them because that's how far they had gotten into the world influencing the church. Are you with me? So when he's writing this part and talking to them, he's coming at it from a different angle. You can almost hear it in his tone as saying, listen, I guess I should have taught you this in the beginning when I was there, but there were some things that I thought didn't need address. They were just common sense. But I guess I'm going to have to go back to the basics. And so this is Paul going back to the very basics, the very fundamental, and talking about this. And I want to read this scripture in the Passion Translation, which Bill brought up last week and use this as a springboard for today. And in Corinthians 12, 19, in the Passion, it says this, verse 19, a diversity is required for if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. I mean, he's saying, listen, the body's all a whole bunch of different parts. The other translations list this and say this oh, the same way over and over. But the, the, uh, the, the translator in the Passion Translation infers, uh, writes what is inferred in the text, which is this, which is this, diversity is required. Say that with me. Diversity is required. You see, for us to be part of the body of Christ and to be a healthy body, to be a complete body, to be the full body, to be the perfect representation of what Jesus wants us to be, it requires diversity. Yeah. And we get in trouble when diversity is missing. Yeah. Bill touched on this last week, and he did such a great job painting the picture and us understanding. You know, uh, we're not just part of the diverse body of God worldwide, we're part of a very multicultural, diverse church here today. And when Bill talked last week about about even being in an interracial relationship and then a marriage, some of the ideologies and thoughts that he had to break off of his own life because of the way he was raised, and things that he learned even a couple years into his marriage of of phrases or a story that he would tell that, that wasn't okay. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to the podcast last week. Listen, it's just good truth. It's good understanding. And if you want to be a part of a multicultural church and, and the body of Christ in a great way, you need to listen to last week. Somebody needs to put their hands together and say yes. It's, it's some of the things that we need to be addressing in the body of Christ, all right? Uh, sometimes we, we say things, we do things out of complete ignorance, but we don't know what it is that we're saying and doing. So check out the podcast from last week. What was the title? I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Make sure you get it because I know you listen online. You've got to serve somebody. There might have been a song in there too. No songs this week. What are we talking about? You all got me talking about songs. What are we talking about? We're talking about diversity. Let me let me challenge you with this. Diversity, of course, is required for unity in the body. Diversity is required for unity in the body. And without diversity, I want to list a couple of things that happens when we don't have diversity in, in the body of Christ. The first one is this. We become, we become narrow-minded. Without diversity, we become narrow-minded. Without diversity in the body of Christ, we become narrow-minded. We know that Paul is talking about diversity in gifts, diversity in callings, diversity in positions, that we all must belong together. And yet, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, understand that Paul knew he was writing to a, to a city, to a church that was a melting pot of cultures and classes and religions and all this. So he knew exactly who he was writing to. Right. When he was saying, you can't all look the same. You can't all be the same thing. You can't all walk in the same function. You can't all have the same gifts, because diversity is required for you to be a healthy church. Right. And if we don't have diversity, what happens is we become narrow-minded. Anybody grow up in, in, a, in a culture or, or where it was that you grew up, a neighborhood, a family that was narrow-minded? Anybody, anybody do that? Okay, I, I got my hand up, you know. I grew up in a county in southern Indiana, had 32,000 people, and it was 98.5% white. It was 1% Hispanic, which meant it was half a percent, half a percent that was not Caucasian or Hispanic. One and a half percent wasn't white. So you talk about a pretty um, one-sided view of the whole world. It's all that I knew. It's all that I saw. And so I realized that, that even in my love for people, my love for God, I had some things that had to change in my thinking. I had some, some, some things that I was taught some, and, and different things that just simply weren't true. And so when we don't have diversity, we have narrow-mindedness. You know, we come to a church like this and I begin to meet some incredible people. And, and I meet these, this, this couple that loves to fish. And they love to fish so much that they start a fishing ministry. And we have a fishing ministry that happened yesterday at our church where we teach kids how to fish. And we give them a fishing pole, and, and, and we help them. We just bless them because we're blessing our community. But if you know Ray, Ray loves to cook. And if you haven't had any of Ray's wings, you haven't quite lived. Like, so we didn't make wings like that where I grew up. I mean, I had a narrow understanding. I mean, we just had, like, fried chicken wings, like, battered, fried... Ain't put any sauce on them. (laughs) Didn't know anything about that. I mean, but but I have a broader appreciation for some chicken wings than I did when I grew up, because diversity has influenced my life. But then, but then I had Jeff's chicken legs. See, there's only about a few of you that have had them Because it will change your mind about chicken for the rest of your life When you have an Indian influence And you put the curry in the chicken With the dark meat It is just extraordinary It's extraordinary Curry was just a basketball player I didn't know what curry was growing up But, but because of my narrow-mindedness and where I was raised and the people that surrounded me, uh, I, I didn't have diversity. But now, because of this diversity, I've been enlightened. And understand, man, the body's got some good gifts. Are you with me? So, so we, have, we must have diversity so that we're not, we don't become narrow-minded. Without diversity, I like this one, without diversity... Our blind spots are ignored. All of us have blind spots. And if you think you don't have blind spots, it means yours is quite large because it's ignorance. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that a little little direct? Um, We all have blind spots in our life. And without diversity, what we do is we allow those blind spots to go ignored and we say, well, that's okay. It doesn't even exist. It's not really there. I, I, anybody in people business, like everyday workplace, what you do, you're around people, all of those things, okay. Uh, if you're in the people business, there, there are uh, different gifts that you need, skill sets that you need. There are several things that can, that can throw you off track. And one of, the, one of the greatest detriments to those of you that work with people on a regular basis in any way that you do uh, is, this, is this little thing called halitosis. the uber driver had halitosis so so stanky breath is something that can be a great detriment to your business to your life um if you don't take care of the problem and uh and so somebody i got an amen somebody So as a, as a pastor, I talk to a lot of people, and I'm very conscious of the fact that I usually drink coffee in the mornings, and so I'm conscious of this coffee breath. So having mints and gum and all that stuff around me is a usual thing. Uh, so, it was a, so it was several months ago that I go to the dentist for my checkup, and she checks me all out and does this thing, and then, uh, and then she gets to the end, and she, she says those words where you could finally take a deep breath, and she says, you're good. So I let out a deep breath, and I'm just happy, you know. No laughing gas needed. I'm just happy I don't have to have any cavity filled or anything like that extra work. Uh, but she says to me, she says, um, she says, do you drink a lot of coffee? And I said, well, yes. And I'm thinking she thinks I look like I drink coffee. And she said, um, well, you know, she said, um, uh, uh, sometimes when you drink a lot of coffee, uh, you can get bacteria build up in your mouth, and it can lead to halitosis. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, yeah. I said that's why I always, you know, this. And I said um i said but what can i do because i recognize she has a she has probably more knowledge here than i do so you know so i said so so what do i need do i need the the alcoholic mouthwash or the non-alcoholic like give me i need insight you help me tell me what i need you know uh do i need to change my toothpaste you know and she says she says well well no, no 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 she said there's actually something better she said um you could you could get a tongue scraper and i said a tongue scraper? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I have, I have one of those. I use one She said, oh, you do? <laughs> she wasn't convinced by what she saw that I was using. She said, well, do you use it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I use it. And she said, well, how do you use it? <laughs> and I said, well, when I brush my teeth, I always brush my teeth. And then it's got that little rubber part in the back. And I brush my tongue with a little tongue scraper on the back of my toothbrush. And she laughed. And she said, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, uh, that's not a tongue scraper. I said, well, what do you mean? So she reaches into her little drawer and she pulls out this piece of cardboard and she pops it open. And what she shows me wasn't exactly like this. It was a solid stainless steel medical device (laughs) that looked like it belonged in the operating room. She said, this is a tongue scraper. And I said, what in the world do you do with that thing? She said, no, you take this and you use it every few days. You take it and you scrape your tongue with the tongue scraper. She was breaking it down for me. <laughs> and I look at her like she's crazy. I'm going to stick this surgical tool in my mouth and cut my tongue <laughs> n- not to have breath, nothing bad breath, no thank you, I'm, I'm good. She said, no, listen, you have to understand that, that when you drink coffee, you drink lots of uh, acidic things, that bacteria builds up and it, and it grows on your tongue. And I'm like, well, okay. And she said, and I know this because your, your tongue is white. And I said, what? And then she was really, really, really kind. She took, a, she took the mirror and held up the mirror for me right about this close to my face. And I saw that she was exactly right. And I didn't realize that I had this great big blind spot in my life every morning that, that I had this white tongue that was actually a problem wasn't supposed to be like that. And so I got a tongue scraper. And do you know what? Well, you use one and you tell me what you think. It'll change your life. Anybody use a tongue scraper. Well, let me see. Just stick your tongue out right here. I'm just kidding. But she had some knowledge that I didn't have. She had some wisdom that I didn't have. And it took me a minute to listen. But once I did, it changed my life. I don't, have, I don't deal with that bacteria anymore. It was a blind spot in my life that I didn't know anything about. I can brush my teeth all day long. I can rinse even with the alcohol stuff, and it doesn't help because I have a tongue problem, not a teeth problem. And that's why diversity is required in the body of Christ is because we all have blind spots in our life, and they're blind because we don't see them. But we need people to hold up the mirror and say, Listen, your tongue is white. <laughs> Let me give you a tongue scraper. Because we all need tongue scrapers in our life. You know, they'll be available in the fall. They're going to be our next OC merchandise purchase. We're going to have tongue scrapers with the OC logo on them, right? You wait. Somebody buy stock in these things because it's about to go up. Without diversity, we ignore our blind spots, we're completely unaware of them, and it's why we need each other, but we need each other with different backgrounds, with different skills, with different abilities, with different knowledge, with different IQs. We need them to help each other. You see, without diversity, we lose our uniqueness, and this is special. It's been said before, you were created an original, don't die a copy. God created each and every one of us unique right. to be ourselves with a unique sets of gifts and abilities, you know, and, and, and no matter what your personality profile might be, you're unique. There isn't anyone like you. No one. Your, your, your fingerprint's unique. Everything about you, your DNA structure is unique. It's you're the only one. You're one of a kind. But without diversity, what happens is we become like everybody else. We all look the same we all talk the same we all dress the same i had a young man talk to me after in between services today and he said man when you talked about that point about about being unique he said you know he said i grew up in a in a certain church where we had to dress up he said and i don't mean wear a suit like we had to wear purple suit with yellow shoes and he said you know if i didn't dress the part not just a suit but a flashy suit he said i didn't feel accepted he said, but then, and this was a, this was a, a beautiful family, and, 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 and an interracial marriage, and he said, my wife grew up, he goes, and she wore jeans. He goes, and I struggle with it. He said, because I felt like I wasn't giving God my best if I ever wore jeans to church. And, I said, and, and we said, but this is what I love that you're actually talking about. We're all created unique. We all get to be us. We all get to be who God created us to be. And if you want to wear a suit, more power to you. You go right ahead. And if you want to wear shorts and a t-shirt, more power to you. We will address the length of your skirts (laughs) and maybe other things that that happen. (laughs) But but in this, we can be who God created us to be. And that's special. I love, I mean, you don't understand. I don't travel all that much, but when I do, I visit churches and I, I... and I just, I come from church background, and so, you know, going to school, and I, all my friends are in church, my family's in church, I know, I've seen a lot of places. And I walk into places, and so many times, what I see is, I see everybody looks the same. And when I walk on here on Sunday morning, and I see, I don't like calling out names because I don't want to embarrass people, but, but when I see people dressed, it makes me proud because I think someone took pride in that and it look and you get ready for that and, and I and I love it. And I see people that come in because they had a busy weekend and they just show up, or people that come in their scrubs right after work, and I think you value this enough to come straight from work here, and that's beautiful. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so we need to make sure that we keep keep our uniqueness. You see, the problem is, is that when we try to to cookie cutter everybody to look the same way, we're actually hindering their walk with God and who God created them to be. Now listen, there are things that we need to address in your life. There are sin issues and there are times where we need to say, listen, that is not okay. But in being your unique a, a, a person, your individual and who God has created you to be, we want you to flourish. Flourish. There was a minister named John Perkins, and he went to New Zealand to, to minister not that long ago, and he told this story. He said he went to serve at a, at a, at a Pentecostal convention down there, and he said that there were really two groups of people when he walked in. He said they were very segregated. He said you had the Kiwis in New Zealand who were there, and they were hosting the conference, and they were leading the worship, and they were preaching, and it was a wonderful thing. But, and then you had the Maori tribe that, that was sitting over here in a completely different area. And so the complaint became amongst the leaders. The Kiwis would say, you know, the the Maori people, they're wonderful people, but there's this hindrance where they can't enter into the fullness of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, none of them speak in tongues. They can't speak in tongues, and, and we can't figure it out. But there's a roadblock, and there's something that we have to go after. There's some spirit. There's some stronghold over the tribe, and there's something that we have to go after. So John Perkins, after ministering for four nights, stood up in front of the congregation on the fourth night, and he said this. He said, what you have tried to do is you've tra- cr- tried to take a people and colonize them. And you've tried to make them dress and talk and sing and act just like the Kiwis. He said, but God created them unique. He created them with a unique identity. He created them with a unique sound, a, a-, a unique expression to the Lord. And so this was his challenge. He stood up and he said, tomorrow night, this is what we're going to do. He says, I want the Mauis. He said, I want you... I want you to lead us tomorrow night in song. He said, I know there are songs you sing when you're just amongst yourselves, songs of worship to the Lord, and I want you to lead us in those songs. And I want you to come dressed in your your native uh, clothes so that you can come and express your culture and express who God created you to be. This is quite a statement because these are the group of people that when you see the New Zealand All Blacks, the rugby team, they do this dance, it's called the haka. Have you seen it? You may have seen it on Facebook and you not even realize it. It's, it's the dance that they do every time to intimidate the other team, and it's a cultural thing. But they stand up, and I mean, with every part of their body, they dance. And they shake their heads, and they wag their tongues, and they make expressions to intimidate the other team. And then it's this beautiful cultural display of, of who they are. And so when Perkins stood up on the stage and he says, I want you to sing tomorrow and do this, the next night, here's what happened. They showed up, the men in their skirts and no shirts, bare chested. And they stood up there and they began to chant and they began to slap their knees and they began to make expressions, but as unto the Lord. And in just a moment, the Holy Spirit falls and all of a sudden they all the entire tribe congregation of people there began to speak in tongues where the baptism of the holy spirit comes in it fills them why because they were being who god created them to be in their unique individuality and you see just as the british for centuries colonized areas and tried to tried to make everyone british every land that they occupied every territory that they conquered that they tried to colonize them we've done the same thing in the church We come to people and we say, well listen, this is exactly how you have to act, this is how you have to dress, this is how you have to talk, and you have to be just like this. And if you're just like this, if you're just like everybody up there on stage, then you're going to be close to God. Here's the truth. We need you just the way you are. Because the body of Christ isn't, isn't full, it's not whole, it's not who we need to be unless you're operating in the gift of the expression that God has given you. So if it looks different, if you dance different, dance anyway. If you praise a little bit differently, praise anyway. If you get a little bit more excited than the Presbyterian brother beside you, you go ahead and you get excited because there's, there's something in your expression of worship that needs to be released because you understand it's the way that God created you to be. He created you with this desire to worship him and express yourself in truth and, and authenticity. And when we stifle it, we're, we're not experiencing all of the glory of God. We're only experiencing part of it. And so for, for, for churches so long, we've put people in a box and we've said, listen, this is the way you worship, this is the way you sing, this is the way you pray, this is the way you do it. And we've made patterns and programs and said, this is the way it's supposed to be. But I'm excited to see a body come together. The body of Christ and their unique individuality and their gifts and their callings with their purpose. We're coming from a background and saying, no, this is my expression of worship to the Lord today. Now this is some dangerous stuff that I'm saying Because when we say this We recognize that well you know what Somebody might do something And they might get out of line And they might become a distraction Well you know what We'll talk to somebody in love We'll help people through something But it's time that we got over our own self If it's distracting you Look at God (laughs) Don't look at him You know we have eyelids for a reason. You close them. I'm saying this to challenge us all. All of us. That we've, we, we've got to be who God created us to be. And when we don't have diversity, we lose, we lose our, our uniqueness. You see, without diversity, we become Isolated. We don't have diversity. We, we become isolated by ourselves, and just as the Uber driver had isolated himself in no church with no friends, nobody that, that would, would listen to his stuff except whoever he picked up in the car. He became isolated. He was off on a, on a tangent. And we do the same thing. In, in the book of Hebrews, it says this in chapter 10, verse 24. If you have that for me, guys. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. What does this say? How to stimulate who? One another. another. So wait a minute. The author here is not talking about how you can grow in church. He's saying how you can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So we're all supposed to have love and good deeds, but maybe we can't all do love and good deeds by ourselves. Maybe we need other people around us to stimulate us, to, to encourage us, to help us a little bit along the way. Verse 25, it says, it's not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, some. So even in the first century, people were skipping church. This is every pastor's favorite verse, you know. Bill's got it tattooed right here, Hebrews 10, 24. When he counsels, sometimes he rolls up his sleeves and just sends, these, sends this message of get in church yeah. but what does it say no you shouldn't neglect but then it says but encouraging one another hold the phone why does it say we shouldn't stay alone and stay at home and sleep in or attend bedside baptist we should, we should not forsake assembling together why because we need to encourage one another So I'm telling you that there's something that happens when you just show up. There are people in this room that when you walk into church, you don't know how it makes me feel. Because I've been there in your lowest season of life when, when so many other people would have given up. But I see you walking to church week after week after week, and it does something in my soul, and it says, listen, if they can just show up for church, then I can worship God today. And so each and every one of us, just by by not forsaking, by showing up to church, you don't know what it tells to the person beside you that says, man, just because they're here, I can worship God today. And just as Bill encouraged us earlier, listen, there's times where we worship, but we're not worshiping for ourselves. We're worshiping for that person beside us that's going through something that you never know about. And so as you lift up your voice and you begin to worship and you begin to praise, you're, you're communicating and expressing yourself to the God in a way that that person can't, but because you're making a way for them and inviting the presence of God, they're going to enter into the presence, into, into a life-changing opportunity because you chose to worship. And it's that critical. That we belong. It's that critical that, that the first person belonging, first point of belonging is just it's just showing up. When you go through difficult seasons, when you experience tragedy. Tara and I were on the road the other day traveling to see someone experiencing loss, and I said, Listen, there's one thing that I want to be known for when I'm gone. It's that, it's that I showed up. It's that I showed up. Not that I said some message or had these eloquent words, or, or did whatever, but when they were going through something, I, I showed up. And you know, there's been times that we've missed it. There's been times that your church leadership have missed it. There's been times that I've missed it personally. A couple of weeks ago, there was somebody in the hospital, and they were there a couple days, and I didn't know about it, and, and then my, my schedule was so busy, and I didn't carve out time to go to the hospital. And I regret it. And I don't say that looking for any sympathy from you. I'm saying, like, I'm trying to be vulnerable here and let you know that, like, the very thing that I want to do, I didn't do. And I recognize that I missed the mark. But we all miss the mark at times. And the beautiful thing about family, about being part of the body of Christ, is that even though I didn't make it, we had at least four people from the church that went and saw this person in the hospital. That's family. That's belonging. That's being there. That's, that's showing up. And it's what we're all called to do. So we've got to connect to one another. We've got to be present, to show up in these moments and these times. And so I would encourage you, you know, as a church, we're growing and, you know, we're, we're getting ready to knock down some walls. And so anytime you grow, you experience growing pains. And there are things that happen. There are times where bogus drop there there are things that sometimes aren't communicated clearly or you didn't know about and so there is plenty of opportunity in church to be offended particularly in a multicultural church particularly in a church that is growing particularly in a church that is young there's lots and lots and lots of opportunities for offense and what i love are some of the emails now now i said some of the emails because some of the emails you know you you don't love I thought, you know it would be a great, a great reality show would be, like, my inbox. Like, I mean, I could just sit down and, like, Im- inbox. I mean, it would be really good. Like, but, but that, that's any church. That's any organization. You know, you, you, you get things that happen. But what I love is some of the emails that I've received recently of people who are like, you know, I don't understand this, but can you help me understand this? And I recognize... That it's people who at a less mature season of their life wouldn't have asked a question. They would have walked out the door. But yet they're mature enough to say, help me understand. How can I connect? How can I belong? How can I find my place here at Oasis City Church? And that's what I'm looking for. That's what God is looking for. Us as believers to say, you know what? I'm going to give so-and-so the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give so-and-so an opportunity to say, you know what? I bet their intentions were right and they were good. And so as we continue to grow and as we continue to, to streamline things and give you more opportunity and communicate better and all these things, I would encourage you along the process, along the journey, to remain relationally connected. Because it's through that that you, help, that you understand. Because someone has an understanding that you don't have. And I want to close with, with this thought here today. You know, as, as we need to understand that we cannot be isolated, we recognize the plan of the enemy is this. First Peter 5.8 says, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Say alert. alert. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's, he's prowling around looking. And what do lions do? They look for the stragglers. Like, lions are king of the jungle, but you realize they're really king of the desert, king of the plains. They're really king wherever they show up, you know? Like, that's the lion. But even being king of the jungle, they can't take on a herd of anything. The weak little antelope, they can't take on a herd of antelope. They look for the stragglers, the weak ones, the ones that get disconnected from the herd. And that's where they attack. And so the the writer here is telling us, is saying, listen, listen be wise understand that if you isolate yourself you're making yourself very very vulnerable and so what i want to encourage you ever so strongly today is to recognize those lies of the enemy because here's what the enemy will tell you the enemy will tell you nobody cares about you really there you know if you don't go for a couple of weeks no one will even notice well you haven't been there for two weeks and has anyone ever called you they don't really care about you. The enemy speaks these lies over us and what it does. Why? He's just trying to get you to isolate yourself. Because if you can isolate yourself, he know you're gonna end up like the Uber driver with halitosis, believe in some bad belief system. It's a true story. That's, that's where he's trying to get us. So how do you how do you fight that? So anything that god wouldn't say to you is not god so if you believe something and you're like would god say that no he wouldn't he wouldn't say that well that's not that's not god so here's what you do when you hear the thought that comes in well you know you've missed two weeks and nobody's called you you know how you fight that you pick up a phone and you make a call yourself when the enemy tries to speak a line to you and said nobody cares about you you say you know what I'm going to care for someone else. I know someone else that's going through something. I'm going to step up and I'm going to meet a need because I'm going to do my part in the body. And that's the perfect opportunity for us to, to fight the enemy head on. When the enemy tries to throw lies at you and he tries to throw things and you say, you know what, I am bigger than this. I'm more mature than this. I am stronger than this. I'm going to go after this like never before because I recognize the enemy's just trying to get me to isolate myself, but I need to find my place in the body of Christ. You are needed. Your, not just your gifts Not just your calling Not just your position But you being you Being you here every week Is needed in the body of Christ I want to read one more scripture to you That's really going to set us up for next week Next week I'm really excited uh, we, we have someone Going to share with you next week I'll just say get ready, get ready, get ready It's going to be really, really, really good Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 ever have a scripture that just messed with you how does that work god you shouldn't have put that in the bible i wouldn't do that you know so this is this is matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect okay god jesus said i'm to be perfect as my dad's perfect all right how do i do that you know, context is king. When you look at the context of where Jesus is talking, this is very critical, okay? Because when you take that one statement, you're like, okay, what does it mean? So what's the context? Jesus in, chapter, in verse 43, chapter five of Matthew is saying this. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, you love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. And then he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors love the ones that love you? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So Jesus is telling us this, that that heathens love each other. Gentiles love each other and greet each other. This is my question. Why can't we do that in the church? If the unsaved folk love each other, why can't we love one another? That's a big question. Like, it's, so, it's so elementary, but we got to love each other, right? But then Jesus says, just after he says this, why don't you love each other like, like the Gentiles love each other? Then he says this, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is what he's saying. The perfect statement that he's talking about is all about relationship. He's talking about being relational with those outside of your community, outside of your family, outside of your culture, outside of your space. He's saying you've got to be relational with people. And then he says, be perfect as the Father and perfect. So the word perfect there, translated the Greek, is often translated as whole. So he's telling them, he's saying, be whole as my heavenly Father is whole. Gives it a whole different understanding, right? It's not only translated whole, but it's also translated like this. Be complete as my heavenly Father is complete. Be fully mature as my heavenly Father is mature. Be lacking nothing as my heavenly Father lacks nothing be all inclusive be well rounded as my heavenly father is and so we as the church must be ones that, that that listen this idea of relating with one another is just the next step because Jesus called us to a whole higher step and said you gotta be like me a friend of sinners not acting like sinners but a friend of sinners And we're going to jump into this next week.